All right. Well, if you're new here, my name is Justin Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at this awesome, amazing church. And I, what we usually do is verse by verse. We love the Bible so much, we go through the Bible verse by verse, uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, precept upon precept. We love God's word. Now, that doesn't mean we don't believe that there's times and places where we can do topical preaching, all right? We do it usually during Christmas, on Easter, so there's times that we, we have topical sermons. Uh, usually in the beginning of the year, two years ago, I've only been here three this August, I will have been here four years, so yeah, yeah. We, we did this once where we did a vision week, where we cast the vision, and so many of you guys liked it, You've, that we decided to do it again, but this year, it was really a Holy Spirit thing, because uh, a year ago we launched our Spanish fellowship. They grew way quicker than we ever anticipated. And so then we decided, because it happened so quick, we weren't really able to prepare and we didn't do a lot to integrate because we wanna be one church. And so we, we've decided that once a month, the, the last week of every single month, we're gonna come together, all the fellowships. Right now it's just English and Spanish, but I believe one day it's gonna be French and Hindi and come on somebody, right? And, and so we're gonna come together as long as we can, and, and, and once we outgrow this building, no problem, we'll deal with that problem as it comes. But right now, we're gonna meet one Sunday, every single month, all come together. The problem with that is they are two weeks behind us in the book of Acts, because we're preaching through Acts right now, and so they can't listen to the same sermon twice, because Pastor Stanley's preaching the same thing I am, he's just two weeks behind. We've decided to do a vision series again, so for three weeks we're gonna be talking about vision and where we're going as a church, and because so, so many of you liked it, but I've, but I've been getting emails with questions too, and so I'm gonna answer a question today, Really, today is gonna to be the most unique sermon I've probably ever preached. I'm just scratching the surface here. And then the next two weeks, next week and the following week, I'm gonna talk about your response to the gospel. Your response to the gospel. What happens when we meet Jesus? How are we supposed to respond? Because that really fits into the vision. So hang with me, stay with me through, throughout today. I promise it's gonna make sense. But... Uh, let me begin first off by celebrating what not only God has done in the last four years, because we went through a big transition three and a half years ago, but really what God's done the last 61 years. We just need to thank God for where we are 61 years later after Pastor Hugh Rosenberg started this church. Can we just take a moment and thank God for his goodness? You had, you had a a guy who was living in California as a, as a youth pastor, and I'm from the West Coast. California is nice, especially on a day like this, when it's like five degrees outside. But felt called to come over here, to, got a phone call, came to Cincinnati, worked with what's now the People's Church. Pastor Clyde Miller helped send Pastor Hugh here, and he launched this church, and here we are. And you could kind of see the progression of the vision. We started off in a small building, outgrew that, moved to another one, moved to this big building, and here we are just experiencing the blessings of the goodness of God. And it's just incredible where we are. There is a life cycle in every church. It's one of the first things I learned at Bible college um, that uh, most churches, now God is in the business of resurrecting dead things, right? We believe that. So even though everybody's out there right now that the trend is go plant a church, and we're all about planting, by the way, but I didn't hear a whole lot in Bible college about revitalizing churches. Instead, I just heard about this life cycle, that every church is born, they go through this life cycle, and, and eventually uh, every church will die. And I remember I argued with my professor because I didn't believe that. 
That's baloney. That ever that that it, just because some of our churches are maybe decline in decline and that we have to embrace this idea that every church is gonna die. Absolutely not. Uh, he did give me a C minus because he didn't agree with what I, <laughs> what I had to say. But I, I think probably from that moment on, God was telling me, Justin, maybe, maybe you're just not called to be uh, a church planter. And I remember even the professor said that. Hey, buddy, look, if you're called to, to go uh, be a part of church revitalization, then, then go for it. And so... It was so cool coming here four years ago. We weren't dead, by the way. We weren't dead. I'm gonna say that again. We were not dead. In fact, I, when, I, when I say church revitalization, I really got fortunate because I got to come to a church that had this core group that really wanted to see Jesus do some amazing things. And, and I just, look at around us right now. Look at this building that we're sitting in. Like, I got to build on the foundation of two incredible leaders. And, and so I, I, I have no idea what it's like to plant a church, but I am so thankful to God that I gotta build on such a strong foundation because man, that just propelled us forward already. But you guys, we went through a lot because anytime you go through trans, transition, it's, it's a big change, right? So following uh, Pastor Hugh Rosenberg, which is a legend in the Assemblies of God, by the way. <laughs> he just, you, you talk about big shoes to, to fill. My word, Pastor Hugh Rosenberg is he's just, yeah, he's something else, right? And then Pastor Brad for 19 years in his big heart to, to have to come in and fill those shoes. Here's this guy. Pastor Brad was the kind of guy that you could call at 3 a.m. and he was gonna be there. He is just the biggest heart, uh, all kinds of compassion. And then there was me and I wasn't like either one of them. I kind of was, was different than, from both of them. And I had to come and, and uh, figure out who I am and my pastoral leadership and the church had to, to embrace a new leader, and all I wanna say is thank you for the last three and a half years. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who believed in Liz and I, thank you. To the board, thank you. I'm gonna say it right now. I have the best board in all of America, the world, I'm gonna say the world. I have the best board, and I don't think they get honored and recognized enough. This board is the spiritual backbone of this church, and this board supports your pastor and wants your best and wants the best for this church at all times, and I wanna say thank you to this board. This board is incredible, incredible. Um, but let's just celebrate what God has done. In fact, I, I got some pictures. Corey, do you have those pictures up? And we'll see which one pops up first, but we're gonna take a journey. Wow, three and a half years ago, look how skinny I was. <laughs> and I don't even see gray hair, man. So three and a half years ago, Asher is really spiritual, Liam is staring off, Allie's praying, but that was three and a half years ago. I think that was Ian praying. Can we get that back up? Ian was praying over us. What a day that was. We got voted in and the journey began. Let's go to the next photo. Yep, like I said, I had to follow two giants in the faith. So Pastor Hugh Rosenberg and Pastor Brad Rosenberg. That was on the day we got voted in. And, and here we are. This was so we, and, and pause it, we'll leave it here for a minute. But this is, this is the day that we relaunched. And we're still Tri-County Assembly of God Church, just in case anybody's wondering. We have not erased our history. We are building off our history. But we felt a new name was was kind of the direction that God was leading. And so over the last four years, we did what we called a four-year um, or a four-hour strategy. We were gonna rename, rebrand, remodel, and relaunch. 
And, and why did we do, well, we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's just take a journey. So this was Easter Sunday when we relaunched his New Heights Church. All right, we'll go to the next. We'll just keep going. This was this sanctuary, okay? So what you're looking at right here, you can't see because there's a wall there. So when we first came, almost 3,000 seats in this sanctuary. And remember, I came in the middle of COVID. So these were COVID numbers. But uh, we were averaging that first year 215 a Sunday, and that's across the board. So that's including children. And there were 3,000 seats in this sanctuary. So I remember watching the ushers have to get up and, and walk like a mile to find the next person. And, and so we as a leadership team decided we're gonna, we're gonna do something uh, with this building. We wanna make good use of it. And so did you know that this church has always, in the DNA, has always sent out missionaries and pastors? Always sent out missionaries and pastors. In fact, when I took this church, Greg Mundus called me up and told me, you know, your church, more than any other church I can think of, has, has given us more missionaries. Full-time, fully appointed, Assemblies of God, world missionaries. So that has always been a part of the DNA of this church. You guys are not just giving money away to missions, but you guys are literally sending workers out to the harvest field. And I just even learned this last week. Liz and I, a church that we love, it's like uh, just this incredible church, and we just learned that the pastor of that church is out of Tri-County Assembly of God Church, and we didn't even realize it. So his wife graduated from Cincinnati Christian, and they were a part of this community, now pastoring one of the greatest, healthiest, most vibrant churches in the Assemblies of God, and we just had no idea there was this connection. So that's always been a part of it. That's something we were gonna build on. We were gonna continue the legacy of sending out missionaries and pastors into the harvest field. And so what we did is, as you can see, we built a wall and we turned those into classrooms. So those used to be seats and that was right behind that. uh, And everybody loved those seats. Nobody came and sat here. They all sat under there. There were a lot of people mad at me that I took their seat, but we're doing it for the kingdom. All right, so next, next, as you can see, and it was our staff, we literally, There's Pam, I don't know if you can see Pam in the back, she's moving chairs out, but we just worked so hard and we got all those chairs out and we built these classrooms and you guys need to go and check out these classrooms. So eight classrooms we built because we're partnering with North Point Bible College. Uh, We're offering a four year accredited degree for those who are called into ministry. So we want to raise up the next generation of missionaries and pastors and that's what we're gonna do. I think I've got a few more pictures you just, you could kind of see the stage before. See, that's before the wall. You can see all those, all those chairs. And then, uh, and then we put up an LED wall, and uh, that's what's behind me. And so we, that was fun. And one of the first things we did was watch football. <laughs> so that happened to be the year the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Better days. All right, next, next photo. This was uh, the Easter Sunday. Uh, it was just so incredible. We had uh, water baptisms right here on stage, and you can just see it was a packed house. It was, it was really a beautiful sight. And uh, just, it, it was, yeah, this is the remodel of the sanctuary, just showing you what it looks like. And then this was downstairs, okay? This was the fellowship hall. I knew about the fellowship hall before I ever came here to be the pastor, because this is where we would do, I think it was breakfast with missionaries. So when Liz and I were a missionary, we'd go down to the fellowship hall. And so we decided we were gonna make this fellowship hall 
uh, a kid, a family center. Because remember, there were we were having the kids meet across at CCS, and it was just it scared me to death having kids cross the street and cars come in. And I just said, we got to be in one building for the safety of our kids. And so we decided we're going to turn the fellowship hall into a family center. And you can keep scrolling through those. And all of a sudden, this is what we did. We started working with Wacky Studios in Orlando, Florida. And we started coming up with a design and a plan to make this place a place where kids can go and have fun. And this, and you can see, we just, there's trees. We, we just, we did everything. Redesigned all the classrooms and you could keep going. And now it's just this beautiful family center that we have. And we've got Mary, our kids director, who's working hard every single week to minister to your kids. She's amazing and awesome. And I think we just have an incredible kids program. All right, let's keep going through those photos. I, that could be all of them, I don't know. There's not another one popping up. So yeah, God-sized vision. So we have, we have done so much, and you know what? We're not done, okay? That was just phase one of three phases. So I'll throw that out there for you to think about later too, okay? So let's talk about this. So we, we did it in, in three and a half years, the 4R strategy. We renamed, rebranded, remodeled, and relaunched. And why did we do all this? Because the vision of this church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do that through four steps. I'm gonna talk to you about them real quick. Number one, to know God. We want people to know God. Our Sunday service is just the tip of the iceberg. Did you hear me? Our Sunday service is just the tip of the iceberg. That means when you come in on a Sunday, our goal, and if we're not there yet, we're gonna get there, is that you're just seeing a small, tiny part of what this church is about because it's just like the tip. I worked in Alaska, and I remember we would go through uh, on, on these boats, sometimes traveling on boats, and I remember the captain telling me one time, because I always thought it was so cool to see the iceberg. i say, man, look at how big that one is. And he would say, you should see how big it really is if you could see underwater. You're just seeing the tip of it. And, and we, we think what we do on Sunday is just a small part of the overall plan that we do. Best way for people to know God is through you. So you need to know God, and the best way to know God is through his word. That's why we are committed to doctrine. So on Sunday, you're gonna hear God's word. Like I said, we preach verse by verse because we want you to know the Bible, all of it. And the way you can leave here and do ministry in this world is if you know God's word, right? Number two, find freedom. And this is done through authentic relationships. And I like to say intentional relationships. Small groups is a huge part of what we do, all right? Through authentic relationships, you are gonna grow in your walk with the Lord, you're gonna find true freedom, and that's why we make disciples and not converts, okay? That's one of our core values. You guys were designed for community. We're not designed to do life alone. You've got to get into a small group. Number three, discover your purpose. How many of you guys know you have a reason to be here? You have a reason to be here. When you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you purpose. He didn't come to be, and listen, Jesus didn't come to be an important planet in our solar system. He came to be the center of it. You understand that? So we will never understand our purpose, and we go through some difficult times in life. We will experience pain. We will experience tragedy. We will experience times of blessing, but we will never understand our purpose until God's glory outweighs our self-centeredness. So we wanna build a, a, a group of people who know this, believe it, and live it. 
He wants to use you to exalt his name in the earth. He wants to teach you to trust him in whatever situation you find yourself in, even today, right now. Know that it's okay, even good, to pray for God to change the situation. It's fine to do that, but God's first purpose is that you would be able to pray this. God, glorify your name through me and help me know you more. That is what we wanna build. We wanna build people that are so deep and grounded in God's word and their relationship with him, that this is their life motto. They want to bring God glory. They don't wanna waste their pain. They don't wanna squander their blessings. They understand that both are gifts from a good God who has a purpose for their life. That's what we want here at New Heights Church. Because when we exalt his name on this earth, we bring him glory, and by doing that, we bring others into the fold, right? Okay, so that's why we stop at nothing to reach all people. We want God to be glorified, not just in our city, but throughout the entire world. It's only when you say, I don't wanna be the center of the universe that God can reorder all the things in the universe to fulfill his purpose for you. So we want people to think like that, okay? Make, we, we don't want you to think you're the center of the universe, all right, because nothing will work for you. We want you to make God the center of the universe and the entire cosmos is gonna be realigned for God to fulfill his purpose for you as an individual, okay? And then we'll start seeing God bless us corporately. Come on, somebody. <laughs> All right. And number four, make a difference, like, right? Once you discover your God-given purpose, you're gonna be a difference maker. That's why we commission every member because if somebody has come to know God, if they found their freedom, if they've discovered their purpose, they're gonna go out and they're gonna do ministry Monday through Friday. Our church wants to commission you to go reach the world to make a difference in the lives of your coworkers and your neighbors. You are called. We wanna kill this whole idea that church is all about the idea of a big old crowd gathering on a Sunday to gather around some preacher. We're gonna change that. And we're gonna do whatever we've gotta do to absolutely change that so you realize that you are called and you are commissioned to go. Now, with all that being said, in the last three and a half years, we have seen, now remember, we were in our COVID numbers, but we have seen a 120% increase in a Sunday morning attendance. And that, yeah, that's worth celebrating. So one more time, I'm gonna let us celebrate. Let's do it, okay? All right, now that we've celebrated, it's time to move on. <laughs> because we can't celebrate too long, here's the deal, because this is not the only metric of a successful church. Again, it's a part of it, so we celebrated it. But realistically, we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. Now, our God is ascending God. In fact, he sent his best into the world to save us. Did you know that Jesus is referred to as sent 44 times in the New Testament? 44 times he's referred to as sent. And here's the deal, guess what? After his resurrection, Jesus passed his identity onto his disciples. You guys remember this? Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. See, to follow Jesus is to be sent. Jesus' command to every disciple is what? Go, go. We may not all go to a foreign country and be a full-time missionary, but we are all to be going. 
This means that if you're not going, you're not a disciple. And, and, and to myself as your pastor, if you in this church are not going, then I am not doing my job. Not doing my job. I can build a, a, a large church with thousands of people attending, but if the people are not going from it, outside this sanctuary, right, Hebrews 13, 13, to pursue the mission and the call of Jesus, well, that means that I have failed at my duty. So I wanna be able to stand one day before God and say, and I, I wanna hear, good job, my good and faithful servant. I, I have to stand before a God and I am going to be held accountable for how I manage this church and led this church and what I preach from this pulpit. It's a scary thought. So what that does, because it does terrify me, is it pushes me back to God's word over and over and over and over again. So everyone who's put their faith in Jesus is really, you're either a mission field or a missionary. Planting, investing, sending, and sacrificing is really hard stuff. Especially when you're looking at it from an organizational view and you're trying to grow a church. I'm gonna be really transparent with you today. <laughs> Planting, investing, sending, sacrifice, the stuff we read in the Bible. Man, good biblical stuff, but hard stuff. Really, really hard. And a lot of people right now, especially church growth experts, are telling you maybe, maybe avoid some of this stuff or, or be really careful how you approach some of this stuff. But I just have a problem with that. <laughs> Got a problem with it because... All throughout Jesus' teachings, we see over and over and over again that, a dis that discipleship is giving away and not taking in. Giving away and not taking in. And, and I have, the last three and a half years, it's been a journey for you guys, those that have been a part of our church for a long time. You've been, I, I was just talking to a member who's been here for every single pastor. So they were here from the very beginning with Pastor Hugh, Pastor Brad, now, now me. And it was just looking at them and, and I remember telling, what made you, can I just ask the question, what made you stay with me? Why would I leave? This is my church. Why would I leave? This is my church. The God I serve sent you to be my pastor. Why would I ever leave even through difficult and hard times? I'm not leaving. This is my church. And man, that's the kind of faith I want. And that's the kind of idea I want in everybody. This is your church. I'll, I'm gonna pick on Tim Bubnick because I can. He's my friend and I know he won't get mad at me afterwards. I loved what he said because there are times where I'm, I'll bring him vision and I say, man, I think I wanna do this but I'm so afraid and oh, what are we gonna do? And I love what he says and I'll say, what about if it crashes and burns? And Tim says, well, I'll come on Sunday again and again and again. And you know what? Even after you resign one day, I'm coming. Why? Because this is my church. It was my church under Pastor Hugh Rosenberg. It was my church under Brad Rosenberg. It's my church under you, and it'll be my church under the new pastor that comes along. Hopefully, Tim, I'm gonna be here a long time. <laughs> I love it, though. That's the mentality we need. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said this, when Christ bids a man to follow him, he bids him to come and die bids him to come and die. Jesus did not say, come and, 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 and grow. I mean, we, we grow spiritually, we grow by dying, but follow me. He did not say, come and grow, but come and die. And he showed us what that means by his own example. Why, why would it surprise us that God wants to use the same process in our ministries, right? It, it's not through our success that, that God saves the world, but through our sacrifice. 
He calls us first, hear me, please, if you're taking notes, write this down. He calls us first to an altar, not a platform. His way of bringing life to the world isn't by giving us numerical growth and gain that enriches our life and exalts our name. I'm not here to build the name of Justin Hansen. I'm not even here to build the New Heights brand, right? I'm here to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, his way is by bringing resurrection out of death. Just like Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Listen, New Heights Church, we as a church body, and this is something that God has, if I'm just being transparent with you, really had to challenge me on, because we are gonna achieve, or, or we as a body, we are going to live by losing. We're gonna live by losing. We're going to gain by giving away. What we achieve by building our personal platform is never as great as what God achieves through what we give away in faith. Is New Heights Church sufficient for the task? We're gonna do this. Are we sufficient for the task? Am I, as your pastor, sufficient to lead you in this? Well, I mean, me on my own, no. This church on, on its own, no. But in God's kingdom, the greatest people who have ever lived aren't the sort who looked at themselves and said, man, I wanna be great. I wanna be great. Think of Moses, think of Mary. Two examples of people that God called and they did extraordinary things. Moses wanted to quit before he even started. <laughs> Telling God, I can't even talk and you wanna use me? And can you imagine being Mary, a pregnant teenage girl in Nazareth? She probably was thinking, man, God, what is your plan? And God used people like them and here's the deal, if we approach him with humility, he's gonna use us too. I know it, so if we can just be like Ezekiel standing before the valley of dry bones, confessing our inability and knowing that the Spirit of God can do through us all that he has determined. And we've already talked about this. We're seeing it in the book of Acts. God said, I will build my church. I think what I wanna do in 2024 is, and I'm speaking for myself, but just keep reminding myself that this is God's church. This is God's church, and I have the promises from the Bible of what God wants to do with this church, and if I'm faithful to his plan and his design, then God's gonna bless this church. Because the church is not composed of those who would shrink back and be destroyed easily, right? It's composed of those who have faith, Hebrews 10, 39. So this is what we, as New Heights Church, are gonna do. Instead of adopting a defensive posture towards the culture, Right, trying to hold on to, to what we have, right, and trying to protect it from the enemy, we're gonna go on the offensive. We're gonna send out believers into the culture and we're gonna besiege the gates of hell, come on. That's what we're gonna do. And to do this though, God had to do something in your pastor's heart and I want you to see this because this is a Christian principle. Now, I have never, ever, ever once said that I'm perfect. I've, I've always been really transparent with you and told you where I struggle. I struggle with faith sometimes because that's just the journey. If we're gonna be honest with each other, everybody, everybody struggles. 
okay? So I have these moments where I struggle with faith and I have these moments where I struggle with doubt and I'm trying to figure out what God's wanting to do. But something that God has been challenging me over and over is that we've got to stop measuring success by seating capacity. And we need to start viewing ministry success as sending capacity. And I've told you, I remember this famous quote, it was a missionary who quoted this. You know, the church's greatest strength isn't the seating capacity, but it's sending capacity. And I remember sitting in a missiology class at Central Bible College, 19 years old, think I had all the answers, and I remember I said, that's just an excuse for bad leadership. And I remember I got kicked out of that class too. (laughs) I got kicked out of three total at Central Bible College. So, and I I just remember at, at the end of the class, the professor, he did like me, and he just said, Justin, you're arrogant. You're arrogant, like, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're ever going to be successful in ministry, you've got to go back to God's word. You think, you think all these leadership principles that you're learning from these other books, which are great, they're not great, though, if you don't apply it to God's word. Because a lot of times, God's word totally contradicts anything that we're learning in, in leadership circles. And he's called you to serve, first and foremost. That's what he's called you to do. So I, I have been on this journey of God humbling me time and time again. That's, you, know, you know Jesus loves you when you're humbled, right? When you, when you can be humbled and you can take the discipline and the correction. So this is something God's really been challenging me with. Justin, not seating capacity, sending capacity. Seating capacity, though, is comfortable, isn't it? It is. It's safe. It feels really good. Uh, sending capacity, on the other hand, it's risky. It's scary, Seating capacity makes the church, church's leaders look good too, by the way. It does. It makes us look real important. It makes me look really good when we fill these seats. Um, I mean, that's why we as a church, I mean, anytime I get together with other pastors, you, you want to know what we ask? Oh, how you doing? What's the church running? It's like our badge of honor. For, I don't understand it, but... We, we feel so good when we get to go to tell, yeah, we're running this, and we're running this. And I'm guilty. I've done it before. Yeah, my first year, we were at 215, but we were at 483 this last Sunday. Way to go, Justin, right? We do it, though. And it just makes us look good. It makes us feel important. And then when you, but, but here's the deal. Sending capacity, when we focus on sending capacity, it makes the mission in Jesus look important. Takes me off of the platform and it puts Jesus on the platform where he belongs. See, and you know what? New Heights Church, here's the truth. There are times where I'm, I'm, I'm weak and I have those human moments, but I promise you this, I love Jesus with everything in me and I want Jesus to be made famous and I want this to be Jesus' church. I want New Heights Church to be all about Jesus. We want Jesus to be famous here. So if we go from seating capacity to sending capacity, it's gonna mean a change in the way we think about the mission of the church. See, Jesus' vision of the church, the kind of church that would storm the gates of hell, the kind of church that we wanna be here at New Heights Church, was not made up of a group of people who gathered around one awesome anointed leader one day during the week, but multiple leaders going out in the power of the Spirit And that's what the church is. It's what God wants us to be. See, we don't see this much today, but it's the biblical idea of church. Jesus literally said that a multiplicity of spirit-filled leaders would be greater than his earthly bodily presence. That's a crazy statement. Jesus saying, 
You guys are gonna do greater things than even me being here physically with you. You, a bunch of people filled with the Holy Spirit are gonna go out and you're gonna be able to accomplish more. That's crazy, right? But isn't that exactly what our society needs? A church full of ordinary people who know what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be led by the Spirit of God? Right? God is supposed to get the glory in our churches today, and the plan was never, ever, and listen to me, the plan was never for celebrity pastors or the most amazing technology or really expensive, beautiful buildings. Now, again, we just praise God for all of that. I'm not contradicting what I said, so don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But the real power in the church is found in the Holy Spirit moving through ordinary people as they carry his presence into the streets. That's it. That's it right there. So it doesn't matter if I build a crowd on Sunday and you go out there and forget what we learned here. It means nothing. Who cares if we have the coolest LED wall that is amazing to watch Bengals games on? Who cares? You know in Acts, when the church is growing the most, when they're seeing the most life change and the most is happening, it's always through ordinary people. Always. In fact, don't miss this. This is really important. In the book of Acts, there are 40 miracles. 40. Do you know 39 out of the 40 miracles are recorded or they were done outside of the church? New Heights Church, listen to me. This is still the plan. If 39 out of the 40 miracles were done outside of the church, that tells us that most of what we should be doing is outside those doors. We need to expect that kind of ratio today. Your job is not just to invite people to church and then hope Pastor Justin's on his game that Sunday. Hope he does an altar call so that my friend hears about Jesus. No, the best ministry is gonna take place outside those doors when you understand your purpose, right? This is just the tip of the iceberg. Most of the ministry needs to take place outside those doors. We've got to build a church that gets that and understands it. We've got to start focusing on empowering and equipping those in church to do ministry. And I love seeing numbers grow. Don't get me wrong, I do. I think it encourages everybody. But I know that numerical growth won't necessarily make a difference in my city, in this city, Cincinnati, if filling up the sanctuary on Sunday is the goal. Cannot be the goal. I want our church to make an impact on the city, and to do that, we've got to empower our people to multiply God's power where they already are. Paul says, Paul says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints. I think I even have that. No. Nope, I'm all over. I am just getting so excited. Just ignore that. Don't worry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know what that means? That when I became a pastor, in some ways I left the ministry. I, I just can't reach people, people er, 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 where they are because this is where I'm at Monday through Friday now, right? Okay? I still remember the story of my dad when he became a pastor. He said, I miss leading people to Jesus. When I was a police officer and a, an attorney, I was always leading people to Jesus. It's not fair because my dad would arrest them, handcuff them, put them in the back, get them scared about their life and future, and then present the gospel. And everybody always accepted Jesus. 
you know, and then he became a pastor. He said, I miss leading people to Jesus. But the truth is, when I became a pastor, in many ways, I left that part of the ministry. This, now I'm, I'm here to equip you. That's what God has called me to do. You gotta go out and understand that church will never grow and we will never fulfill God's mission if you don't embrace it on your own. You gotta understand when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to his mission. Right? So, I think the reason why most churches don't do this is because it's hard work. It is. It's really hard work. It's way easier to grow a crowd than to grow disciples. So I understand when I get up here and preach this that this is not going to be easy. But remember that the kingdom of God works on the principle of the harvest. Okay? So we reap only as we risk. Living comes by dying. Gaining comes by losing. And that's the DNA and the culture that we are going to build here. That's it. And that's gonna take time, but we are going to build, build that DNA. We're gonna build that culture. It's gonna be who we are as New Heights Church. I get excited. So with that being said, the last 15 minutes, <laughs> last 15 minutes I wanna address a question that I keep getting over and over in emails. And it's an exciting question because it means we're bringing in people from all different walks of life. We're bringing in folks that have never, uh, been, were raised in the church and don't have a lot of uh, exposure to the Bible. And so they're asking really good questions. And I'm gonna read the, the question that I've gotten over and over and we think it, and if you're like, what? Well, again, hang with me because it's gonna set up the next two weeks. So Pastor Justin, what is tithe? He's talking about when Pastor Enos gets up here. Um, and by the way, the email does say that you do a phenomenal job, okay? So there you go. Yeah, getting up, taking the offering. What, what is tithe when Pastor Enos says it's time for tithes and offerings? What is tithe? Is it the same thing as an offering? And why do churches talk so much about money? <laughs> Well, I think our church doesn't talk about money a whole lot. I've been here three and a half years, and I've, I, I think I've only pushed you to give one time, and that was to the crisis in the Middle East. But, but it's a great question. And, and you know what's awkward is talking about money. And you know what's, what's really awkward is when the pastor starts talking about money. <laughs> but guess what? We're committed to doctrine here at New Heights, and that means we're committed to God's word. So we've never avoided these hard topics. We will address any topic that's in God's word. And, and I think this, because I kept getting this question over and over, I finally saw what the Holy Spirit was trying to do, and it's gonna set up, uh, because money is just one part of our life, but it's an important part, but it's gonna set up what I call as our response to the gospel. When we say yes to Jesus, what happens, and I, because I kept getting questions like this and other ones, I, I thought, man, this is, we've gotta explain this. What happens, what, what does it mean to be sold out for Jesus? So that's what we're, we're gonna do, but the most important thing we do every single week here at New Heights Church is we open up the Bible. Every Sunday, we devote over, an, over half of our service to the teaching and the preaching of the Bible. We believe that the Bible's without error or fault in all of its teachings, so it has implications for every aspect of our lives. In fact, we stake our life and eternity on the legitimacy of the Bible. We do. So I, I as your pastor, I choose to trust the Bible because it's historically reliable, it's internally consistent, it's prophetically accurate, and Jesus, who, who happens to be my Lord and Savior, well, he upheld it, and so, and if all that wasn't enough, I tried it and it works. So this church isn't built around me or any leader, thank God, right? 
We're building his church based upon his word. And, and the word of God does the work of God here at New Heights Church. We believe the word of God does the work of God as the spirit of God works on the hearts of the people of God. It's a mouthful, but I love it. That doesn't mean that God doesn't use us, but as we're faithful and obedient to his word, the mission gets accomplished. So to answer the question, we gotta go to God's word, right? And today I want you to know that we're gonna answer this question and then the next two, it's really just scratching the service because you're gonna learn by the end of this service that it's not so much about money as it is heart. God wants your heart. God doesn't need our money. He wants your heart. And so we're gonna look at what is a appropriate response to God's grace and mercy in our, our life um, and how God uses these things in our life to fulfill his mission. So what is tithing? Here we go. Real quick, a tithe is a portion, 10% of your income given to your local church. The word tithe literally means 10th in Hebrew. So because the custom of tithing is biblical, many Christians and Jews practice it as a part of their faith. Leviticus 27.10 says a tenth of the of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and is holy. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, do not let these gardening metaphors throw you off, okay? What these verses are really saying is, is that you should give a portion, specifically a tenth of whatever you make, back to God. And, and the word first fruits is just a biblical way of saying that you should give first, Give first. Before you do anything else with your money, give. So the Bible explains that tithing is an important part of faith for those that say yes to Jesus, that say yes to God, and your tithe should be money set aside first, okay? So that's, that's what tithe is. And then the question was, what's the difference between tithes and offering? Well, I know tithes and offerings are grouped together a lot. We, we do that, and now's our time for tithes and offerings. But they're definitely not the same thing. See, a tithe is a specific amount. That's 10% of your income that you give first. And an offering is anything extra that you give beyond that. So after you've tithed and you've paid all your bills and all your expenses for the month, you can use that extra money in your budget to give even more. Right? It could go towards uh, uh, anything. It could go towards a, a youth trip. It could go towards kingdom builders. It can go towards your needy neighbor. It, it can go anywhere, right? Now, here's what's interesting to me. This is from a recent study done two years ago. Research shows that anywhere from 75% to 90% of the church does not pay tithes. And before I get into the nitty gritty, okay, here, I want you to know this. You don't have to tithe to earn God's love. I'm going to say that again. You do not have to tithe to earn God's love because you already have it. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus literally warns against focusing too much on rules of tithing without paying attention to more important things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But in that same passage, he confirms tithing. He affirms it, I mean. So this isn't about a rule. This is, again, about your heart. And when God has your heart, blessings will flow. And this is always a tricky topic to preach on because so many preachers have abused it. So let's just, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Churches have abused the doctrine of tithing. They have abused giving. They have manipulated people in their congregation to give and to give and to give. You've seen it, okay? I, I was a child of the 80s, and I was Assemblies of God, okay? I remember 
all that was going down in those times. And, and this, unfortunately, has caused many pastors to say, I don't want to touch the topic of giving. Because the moment I mention money, people are going to think, I got to get out of here. So I'm the first to admit that there have been church leaders that have failed the church in the past by teaching false doctrines on this, okay? But the question I always get, because I have so many different people from so many different walks of life in here when it comes to uh, their knowledge of the Bible. So I've got some people who have absolutely no idea what a tithe is, and they're emailing me asking me that. I have some people who have grown up in church their whole life, and they definitely give. And then I have some people in here who are going to, uh, you know, the, the ones that love to study theology that are going to tell me, Pastor Justin, that's an Old Testament law, and we're not under the law. So I've got all these people. So first, first things first. Question I always get from, from veteran Christians who have been in the church most of their life, isn't tithing an Old Testament law and aren't we free from the law? Here's the answer, yes and no. Tithing's a part of the law and Jesus has definitely fulfilled it all in our place so that we are free from its bondage. Come on, somebody. Yes, we are. However, the purposes of the law were generally speaking threefold. Here you go. Number one, to show us what God was like. All right, number two, to reveal how far short we fall of God's character. And number three, to show us how to thrive in this world that God created. Okay, so none of those three purposes went away when Jesus died, none of them. Actually, Jesus is coming only intensified them, right? Because we saw more of what God was like, what holiness was like, and what a man acting in perfect harmony with creation was like. So when it, when it relates to the tithe, listen to me. The law reveals the unchanging character of God and how he expects us to view the money that he has provided for us. So a minimum of 10% that he's given to us, whether we're rich or poor, is to go back into his work, right? And FYI, just want you to know, all the Bible scholars out there, the tithe principle, the first 10% of income going to God's work was taught pre-law, was taught to Abraham. It was taught during the law, right, with Moses. It was taught post-exile with Malachi. And it was even affirmed under Jesus' teaching in Matthew. So all throughout Scripture, we see it. God's purposes for creation, they haven't changed. So we're no longer under, we're, 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 not, we're not like the nation of Israel was then, but, but how God set up his economy for his people, that hasn't changed. That's not changed. So God doesn't lay the financial weight of the entire world on, on any of our shoulders, thank you. <laughs> but he's given his people a plan, and we get to be a part of that plan. And that's pretty awesome. So the law was given to help people live in the peace of God, and that's what gives the law principles, like Sabbath. We love that one. Never, ever had somebody argue with me, well, hey, we're not under the law, so I don't have to follow Sabbath. <laughs> Never had somebody argue that. We love rest. We love the day off. Right? If we're not under the law, let's go work seven days a week. But, but that's what gives the law, principles like Sabbath and tithe, a lasting effect. So the idea that 10% of all that God gives to you is given for you to give back to him, that's still there. And I believe it's a good starting point. <laughs> I think that's a good starting point to our giving, the 10%. Just a starting point. And now, again... I want to be crystal clear so that nobody walks away thinking I'm not teaching something or I'm teaching something that I'm not. Jesus left us under no part of the law. 
not tithe or anything else. But the law still reflects God's character and the way he orders creation is still good. So the law still functions as a guide to how we're to live under God in this world. And honestly, if you're a student of God's word, and I hope you are, you're gonna see that the gospel, when you get to the New Testament, it raises the level of our response to God's laws. God goes a little, Jesus goes deeper, right? The New Testament goes deeper than simply behavioral standards that the law requires, it does. Think about it. The law said don't commit adultery. But Jesus goes further. You remember what he says? He says don't you even look at another woman with lust in your heart or you've already committed adultery. He takes it further. So if the law says give 10%, what kind of generosity does the gospel call for, right? All right, so I'm not twisting any text this morning. Just, I'm just going to the word here. But if the people who saw God's generosity in the Exodus responded with giving 10%, how much should people who have seen the cross how much should us who have experienced grace and mercy in this new covenant, how much should we respond? If they were responding with 10%, doesn't Jesus say we take it up a notch? Come on, okay? And I want you to know the early church in Acts, they gave way beyond 10%. So overwhelmed by the generosity of Christ, they wanted to pour out their possessions for those in need. That's why Paul writes that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They were giving way beyond the 10%. I get it, talking about money in the church is awkward because it often feels very self-serving and sometimes it is, honest. Sometimes there are corrupt leaders out there who preach on it for gain. But everybody, and, and, and everybody thinks the pastor's gonna tell his people to give more money because that's where he gets his paycheck. <laughs> but I think there's more to it. There's more, more to it than that. I think we don't like talking about money in the church because it strikes a nerve. Right? We, don't, we don't like talking about money because we don't want to be told what to do with what we think is ours. Right? We don't want to talk about money because we don't want anybody, anybody telling us what to do with it. Pastor better not tell me what to do with my money. My friends better not tell me what to do with my money. Sometimes not even God. Money strikes a nerve like nothing else it does. It just does. So yeah, Jesus talked about money a whole lot. Actually talks about money more than he talked about prayer and faith combined. Now I'm not saying that that prayer and faith aren't important. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying Jesus actually addressed it more. If he had to address it more back then, it's probably because it was an issue, just like it is for us today. Money is an issue, right? So I have, I, I've gotten so far ahead, I'm gonna have to continue this next week, but, but I want you to see something, all right? And I'll, I'll get to it here. You guys all know that Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's, here's the gist of it. If Jesus can get that, he can get anything. If he has your treasure, he has you. So that's kind of the barometer, right? Now it says, do not lay out for yourselves, he went on, don't lay out for yourselves treasures. Literally, it's, it's do not treasure treasures. And it's the idea of stacking up or hoarding for yourself. It's, it's kind of like a show of wealth. And in one of those stories, Jesus gives a parable, and it's from Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, uh, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he goes on, tells a parable about a business guy who, who, makes a good, who made good on his investments. He's getting a lot of return from his crops, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, 
this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to pull down my barns, build bigger or greater barns, and there I'm going to store all my crops and all my goods. And he says, and I will say to myself, that's him saying, hey, hey me, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Said to himself, you have many good things laid up for many years. Take your ease, sit, drink, be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And now listen to this closing statement. It says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Here's a story about a successful business guy who's planning his future and wealth investments without thinking about God, without thinking of eternal matters, right? Where your treasure, yeah, buddy. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So there are two types of treasures. We're ending with this. Worship team can come back up. And we're going to pick up next week. This is literally scratching the surface for what a life looks like to respond to the gospel. But two types of treasures, right? Treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. One is temporary. One is eternal. One decays and needs maintenance. The other defies decay and is immoral. Laying up treasure on earth, laying up treasure in heaven. Makes me think about two different tombs in the Middle East. Very famous tombs. You'll have heard about these tombs. You got the tomb of King Tut. We all know who King Tut is, right? If you don't, go on the Disney whatever. They've got one of the coolest documentaries on King Tut. In fact, we know a lot about the different pharaohs. We know that they were buried with a lot of stuff, a lot of treasure. You walked into the tomb of King Tut, you would see porcelain and gold on the walls. You would see jewels decorating everything. He was buried in several caskets, and one of them was gold, solid gold. And that's because King Tut and all the pharaohs believed in an afterlife, but they believed you can actually take stuff with you from this life into the afterlife. So they were buried with all of it. Now compare that tomb to the tomb of Jesus Christ, also in the Middle East. Simple rock tomb. No jewels, no treasures, not even a corpse because he got up and he left. And when he went to his father's house, that's where all the glory was. All of heaven's wealth that he enjoyed. Timothy literally says, we brought nothing into this world. Nothing into this world. Certain we can carry nothing out. In all my years, and I guarantee none of you have ever seen this either, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Now, do you know, and I hope you do, that the New Testament regularly describes our relationship to God as he is our master and we are his servants. Jesus, Jesus, we, we don't really like that in America too. We, we wanna hear more about Jesus as being our friend. And I've even heard people call Jesus their homeboy. Bothers me a little bit. Jesus, Jesus is your master. Jesus is your friend, but Jesus is your master. All right, that's, that's true. He's, gonna, he, he, he's, he's your friend and he loves you. He's gonna carry you. But never forget, you are a bond slave of your Lord and he is your master. He bought you on the cross. Hear me out today, you belong to him. If you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to him. And in almost every letter Paul writes, he begins by saying, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Lord. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You've been bought. So at the end of the day, we can say, 
We should value our riches in Jesus in this new covenant, right? Grace and mercy. Relationships so amazing and our freedom from sin so incredible and the gospel so highly that we just, listen to me, absolutely love to give. We love to give. Not because we give out of obligation, but we love to give because of what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we experience salvation, it should free us from a love of things and a dependence on things. And we, we would, out of, out of gratitude, we would wanna give because we have a better covenant and we have a better promise. Everything is greater with Jesus. Why wouldn't giving be greater? So if you're, if you're new to the church, like I said, this is the first time I've ever preached on tithes and offerings in, in four years. But if, if you're asking the question, do I have to? Because this is the question. If you're asking, and, and, and just so you know, I've asked these questions before too. I grew up in the church and was taught to tithe from the very, I hated it actually when I was a little kid because when I got my paper out and my, I, I got a check for $112, I was so proud of that. And then dad said, take 10%, give it to the Lord. What? <laughs> I thought that was for when you have a job. Yeah, this is a job. It's a paper out, dad. I gotta buy myself some Nikes because you keep buying me the Walmart stuff. <laughs> Give 10%. So I practiced it all the way until I was 19. Then I became one of those that said, oh man, that's Old Testament. I don't have to practice that. And, and I, I didn't. I didn't practice it. Once I learned it was Old Testament, I stopped practicing it. Because I gave more than 10%. Once I realized what it was, once I understood it, once I really started studying the gospel, once I really understood what the law was for and what I understood grace and mercy and what Jesus did for me on the cross, 10% wasn't enough. And I wanna close with this because again, I've gone way over and we're probably just gonna close with one song today because I've gone so far over. <laughs> and, and when I'm done praying, you are free to go. We are gonna officially dismiss you. But I want you to understand, because I was only able to answer the question, what is, what is it today? Next week, I'm gonna talk about what it means when we experience God's grace and his mercy and how, how we respond to that. And you'll see, Pastor Justin's really not talking about money. He's really talking about heart. He's really talking about heart. When Jesus gets a hold of you, you wanna give him everything. Your time, your money, you want him to have it all. Okay, and that's my prayer. And, and the reason I'm putting this in the vision week is because this is gonna be a big part of who we are. It is. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your blessings. And we look around. We are truly blessed. This building is amazing. And you have blessed us beyond, beyond what we ever possibly could have imagined. And so God, I pray in the next two weeks, as we study your word and we study all the things that you've done for us and how we, we see that every good thing we have is from you. I pray that there would be so many people in this church who respond not just by giving more money, but by giving more of themselves to you. That they would just see how awesome and truly great you are and that they would be so grateful for the mercy and the grace in their life that they would literally come to this altar 
and give their life to you, all of it, all of it. Whatever you want from them, it would be yours. God, if you're calling people to go to the mission field and serve in Africa or India, whatever the response would be, whatever you've called us to do, whatever you've called us to give, let it be so, in Jesus' name.